Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. Welcome, everybody, to the Mary Jane Experience. I am... I was about to call myself Strawberry Sequoia. And for a second, I was like, wait, what's my name? Hello, Miss Sequoia. Hello, Miss Sequoia. It's a nice beard you've got there. (laughs) (laughs) No, sorry. Uh, (laughs) This is Casey Jones alongside Strawberry Sequoia coming to you from the Green Room Studios in Boulder, Colorado, home of the Mary Jane Experience, Mary Jane Experience website and podcast blog. This is a fun one. It is fun. Because this is not... Out there in the mainstream media, I will say, but it is something that we've considered. Um, that we have a we have a dog. Uh, we go to Farfels Farm just down the road here. We like to pick up treats, and we see CBD products in there. So that got us thinking a little bit. Today's episode. That's right. We're talking cannabis and veterinary medicine. Strawberry Sequoia, as always, set this one up. Who'd you talk to? What'd you talk about? I interviewed Stephen Satal. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Who is a registered veterinary technician, mm-hmm. but also one of the first veterinary cannabis counselors specialists in the country. He is an educator, so he goes around and educates and speaks on the subject. He's an exotic specialist. Interesting. What does that mean? So he works with exotic animals like uh, primates and elephants. Oh, um, interesting. But he also works with every yeah, pretty yeah. much type of, of animal. So hmm. he has this super stacked resume. Yeah, yeah. A broad range of knowledge, we'll say, in the veterinary world. Mm-hmm. But he's gotten into the cannabis as medicine for animals. Mm-hmm. And so I was really curious about the industry, the, you know, how it is used for pet, pets and animals. So basically what we're going to cover in this episode is how did Stephen find this path into veterinary cannabis? Mm-hmm. What are the different types of cannabis products that he uses for animals? We'll go through some of the stigma in the veterinary world relating to this as always there's going to be a stigma yeah i mean it's in the human world and apparently very much so in the veterinary world Mm. so leading into the state of the actual research and data that they have and learning a little bit about the endocannabinoid system of animals versus humans how those differ the different ailments that can be solved in animals with cannabis and a whole bunch more Stephen had a ton of information. Awesome. Super interesting stuff. So let's jump right in. As I said, I wanted to start out with how did Stephen find this particular path mm-hmm. in life? Um, veterinary cannabis. Yeah. It's kind of an off the beaten path one. Exactly. So let's just hear it from Stephen how he what his story is and how he got started. Cool. Yeah, that's a great question and you're absolutely right. Uh, I, have, I have quite the, the resume and, and things behind my name, uh, which I'm really proud of and excited about because I, I try to share all of that knowledge with everybody um, that 
I come across. Um, you know, I, I think in medicine and especially on the nursing side of things, it, it there was this mentality to before with um, other generations of kind of hoarding that information, and I'm all about <laughs> uh, dispersing that information so uh, everyone can be just as as great and, and elevate patient care. Um, as far as getting into the whole cannabis uh, side of things, so. Um, a couple of my certifications are specifically related to anesthesia and pain management. And I have to be honest in that I was very um, Western-minded when it came to medicine and utilizing drugs and particular molecules that are, are created by pharmaceutical companies um, to, to treat pain um, and anesthetize animals. Um, and then just from recreational experience with with cannabis in particular and then some medicinal uses i thought you know this would be really good for some of those palliative care uh cases where the animal you know has terminal cancer or is just very very old and losing weight and doesn't have that muscle mass because they're not getting enough calories or exercising enough because they're so painful from things like osteoarthritis so I started um, introducing uh, cannabis products, uh, mostly hemp-based products, uh, into practice. And uh, what ended up happening was um, I would have these really sick animals, and uh, the owners were interested in euthanizing their animal at a set date. Uh, because their, their quality of life had decreased so much. Um, and anyway, we started using these, these different products and uh, that euthanasia date would pass. And I would say, hey, to the owner, like, you know, I thought we were going to be doing X on this date. And they said, you know, the quality, quality of life for my pet has improved so significantly with these, these particular cannabinoid molecules that we're, we're not interested in doing that anymore because it's, it's working so great. And then I thought, well, huh, you know, um, if it's working so well in these, these kind of terminal cases, let's bring this on to non-terminal cases uh, because I felt a little bit more comfortable with the dosing and got just more comfortable with, with the practice of using cannabinoids as medicine. Um, and again, see the, the same great success and, and interest uh, with owners. Um, and, uh, it just, it snowballed from there. Just, I, I dove nice. deep in after that. Yeah. I love how Steven started to use cannabis with his terminally ill patients, mm -hmm. people coming in with dogs suffering from great amounts of pain that were using cannabis products and all of a sudden didn't have to put their dogs down. Yeah. That's beautiful. Kind of almost sounds similar to the way a lot of um, people started to use it, you know, with terminal cancer patients and things of the nature. Exactly. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of similarities yeah. between the two in this episode. So, of course, he started to see, okay, well, this is so effective. This is doing great things. And... Let's see if we can use it for more than just the terminally ill. Yeah. So I wanted to ask him to just explain to us the different types of cannabis, hemp, cannabinoids, or 
whatever other things that he actually uses in practice. Surely out of my own curiosity, are there um, THC Delta 9 products that can be used specifically for pets or is there anything developed specifically for pets? I don't think it's out of the question from what I got from Steven, but as we'll hear further into this, the way that animals' cannabinoid system, endocannabinoid system works, mm -hmm. they have a tendency to get a lot higher oh, wow. on way smaller amounts. So it's really hard and potentially a little more dangerous to use. Got it, to administer mm -hmm. full doses of THC, so... But I think especially in terminally ill patients and for things like chronic pain, mm -hmm. it could certainly be possible yeah. in very small doses. Very useful. Cool. Well, let's uh, hear what Stephen had to say or what he's using in uh, veterinary sciences. Sure. So I think we all understand, especially this audience, understand the difference between marijuana or cannabis products versus um, hemp products and, and the differences in the amount of, of Delta 9 THC in those particular products. Um, and I think both have a, a, a place um, in, a, in certain disease processes and in certain patients. Um, I will say I, I largely use hemp-based products and I, I do work for a company called Elvet Sciences as the Director of Education and Development. And we have a hemp-based product uh, that has undergone um, some clinical studies at Cornell University and, and uh, now University of Florida and the Royal Vet College. Uh, we're gonna be starting some projects up there, but uh, a majority of products, at least in veterinary medicine, are, are seeming to come from hemp um, because animals seem to be more sensitive to Delta 9 THC. They, they get too high or they, they get uh, what's called static ataxia uh, from higher levels of Delta 9 THC. And what's interesting about that is uh, I would love to utilize more of that in practice and, and recommend that to practitioners um, in the veterinary space. The problem is uh, we just have this, this stigma against anything cannabis, whether it's hemp or marijuana, um, still alive and well in the veterinary field. And veterinarians are, are very cautious creatures. Um, I would say even more so than, than human practitioners. Um, and it's, it's been an interesting hurdle to introduce these products. So, um, so far, hemp-based products seem to be the least scary for practitioners to, to kind of swallow um, and is, is largely um, the, the biggest component in our, in our industry. In case you aren't actually familiar with the differences between THC, hemp, CBD, we sort of classify cannabis into this one big thing, but hemp products are, generally speaking, less than 0.3% of the actual THC Delta 9 that gets you high, but does have trace amounts and also has other cannabinoids like CBD and, mm -hmm. and other healing cannabinoids. So if you, if you didn't know that, there's, there's a lot of information out there, and that's just the very basic rundown. As Steven said, he mainly uses hemp products yeah. because, okay. yeah. Exactly. I was going to say it sounds like he uses hemp, you know, for those kind of reasons because he is looking for the cannabinoids that don't necessarily get you high but do have some holistic effect. Of, of some sort exactly and 
so because of this lack of knowledge, though, a lot of people don't know the differences. Mm -hmm. And people are afraid that you're going to be getting their dog high. And vets themselves are afraid, which brought us into stigma, which is a big deal in our podcast in the human world, right? Yeah. And kind of sounds like it, it spills over the same way into veterinary health, right? The same way that human health has that stigma when you say cannabis, people assume you're just talking about getting high Cheech and Chung style, when really there is all this other potential use of the various cannabinoids in cannabis that could potentially have some benefits. So sounds like the stigma is right in line. Yeah, I mean, Stephen made it feel like the stigma might even be worse in the veterinary (laughs) world, which who knows, you know, you think whatever world you're in, you're like, oh, it's terrible in this world. But I wanted him to expand on that and just give us a little inside look into the stigma in his veterinary world. In the veterinary community, uh, one of the the biggest complications we see uh, when it comes to cannabis in general, whether it's, it's being used as a medicine or not, is THC toxicity. And while we know that LD50 or the lethal dose for a dog, a cat, any sort of animal is extremely, extremely high, we still do see these animals come in with some pretty severe symptoms. And that has really perpetuated this, this stigma against anything cannabis. Um, you know, when we start talking about uh, other cannabinoids like CBD or some of the other minor ones, the question I get all the time is, oh my God, are they going to get high? And I'm just <laughs> like, no, that they are not going to get high. And, and with these certain ratios, we're not going to expect to see any of the, those, those high effects that we would see with a lot of THC. So there's just a lack of understanding of uh, the different types of cannabinoids. There is absolutely no um, uh, curriculum in veterinary schools or technician schools that cover the endocannabinoid system or utilizing these products. I think we're going to start to see that change, but they have this whole receptor system that we've ignored for decades and uh, they're scared. Um, So that plays into the the stigma. And then the other problem that we have is um, organized veterinary medicine. So uh, like the the human side of things, they have the American Medical, uh, Medical Association. We have the American Veterinary Medical Association, the AVMA. And the AVMA, until recently, um, had a pretty uh, hard stance against uh, any sort of cannabis products uh, for animals. And it wasn't until recently we started to see their their position evolve a little bit. So I I do give them credit now, but they they terrified a lot of veterinarians. Um, They were responsible for halting uh, clinical research at universities in animals. Uh, it was that extreme. Uh, so it, it set us back, uh, some of these, these biases. Speaking of stigma, um, that is a major causality of the lack of quality and clinical research on the human side of cannabis. Um, where's the world of research on the veterinary side of cannabis? Is it as bad, worse, getting better? What do you guys talk about? It sounds like there is a ton of research. It's just not all clinical studies. And there's just a lot of misinformation as well. And then that, of course, makes people afraid. Mm -hmm. 
It also sounds like the situation is getting a lot better. They're doing a lot of conferences and things to bring light to the conversation. So Stephen goes into that a little bit further here. One of the, the things that, that was, was being spread and perpetuated is there is no research, uh, which kind of is, is a huge trigger for me because when you actually go to PubMed or you actually spend time trying to dig up research on cannabinoids, again, just getting away from just, just THC or just CBD, there's over 23,000 studies on these different receptor systems, these different major and minor cannabinoids, terpenes, uh, PK studies, PD studies, all of these things. There's over 23,000 published uh, uh, references when it comes to cannabinoids or cannabis in general. And that expands to over 25 different species being uh, utilized in these different research models, uh, from insects to mollusks to uh, laboratory um, mice and rats to dogs and cats and even primates. So there is a lot of information out there. Um, but what, what ends up happening, at least is, as far as the interpretation of these studies or um, getting these studies in the hands of veterinarians, they largely say, oh, well, this is preclinical research. This was in a rodent model. This was in, in X, or this wasn't a clinical efficacy study. And while that is true, we also have to understand for a majority of medications we utilize in veterinary medicine, it's all off-label anyway, and there's maybe one or two studies to actually support uh, safe and effective use of, of a lot of the traditional pharmaceutical drugs that we use in veterinary medicine. So again, it's just that lack of understanding. Uh, that's that example that I just shared about um, only having one or two studies for traditional pharmaceutical drugs. That's an argument I bring up quite a bit when I'm, I'm trying to educate uh, practitioners on safe and effective use of, of cannabis type products. Uh, and then they sit back and they're like, wow, I guess, I guess you're right. Like this is all off-label use or, you know, there isn't really studies. This is just historically what we've done forever. And I'm like, see, you're using a product you have no science for when here I have 45 studies on, on uh, the, the uses of things like CBD or THC for uh, clinical symptoms related to a certain disease process. And they're like, oh, that's that's surprising. I'm like, yeah. So let's let's stop perpetuating uh, some of those lies that you've been taught. It's crazy. They, they, hear that, they hear that from their colleague or their other vet friend, and then they actually they don't actually take the time to look, um, and it just keeps repeated, being repeated and repeated, and uh, we don't make any progress. Um, what I am really proud of now is uh, a lot of veterinary conferences, professional conferences like uh, human. Uh, medical doctors and nurses go to for continuing education credits are actually including um, uh, cannabis talks uh, now. So I, th I think this year I'm doing 24 uh, uh, cannabis talks at some of these major veterinary wow. conferences. Last year I did 31. So it is growing every year. And uh, there's even a, a veterinary cannabis specific conference that's organized by Dr. Kasara Andre from veterinarycannabis.org, where it's nothing but cannabis related topics uh, in animals for two days, which is really fun. Insects 
insects. Bugs. And <laughs> at, at at completely, just because this entertains me, the thought of um, like a fly or a bee or something ingesting THC and then floating around the, around the world a little bit stoned <laughs> is just like I have this vision of the movie Ants or Bugs Life of them just getting stoned. Disney, if you make that movie, I want my royalty check. Um, he mentioned insects. Go he on. mentioned insects <laughs> and mollusks and all sorts of creatures that you definitely don't immediately think, oh, of course they would test yeah. cannabis on insects. Mm-hmm. We think of like our furry four-legged friends, not our creepy crawly hundred-legged friends, right? <laughs> exactly. But there have been studies, so... I, much like yourself, curiosity, killed the cat. (laughs) (laughs) And I I can't even explain to you his answer, so I'm just going to go right to Stephen on this one. The insect thing is really interesting. Uh, I, I love receptor theory, so those are those little things that actually utilize these molecules and, and tell your body how to work essentially Mm -hmm. um and uh in insects it's interesting so i was i was researching uh the cb1 and the cb2 receptor looking for its ortholog or or where it genetically came from way down in evolution and and we start to see the development of these particular receptors these g-coupled protein receptors in lesser species Um, and what we see is we see these the formation of these receptors that are are receptive to phytocannabinoids in things such as sea hares and other types of mollusks. But then what we don't end up seeing is these uh, receptors uh, forming and sticking around in insects. So they only create minor endogenous cannabinoids, but they don't have the same receptor system as mammals or um, uh, higher species that, that utilize uh, these endocannabinoids and can then utilize phytocannabinoids. So we don't see uh, an, an ECS really in insects, uh, which is kind of interesting. So we 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 touched on it earlier. Um, there are differences in obviously our endocannabinoid systems as Homo sapiens versus those in the animal kingdom. Um, how does THC and cannabis affect animals differently? Yeah, so I thought it was interesting that our endocannabinoid systems are actually really, really similar. Oh, wow, really? Okay. Not necessarily insects or mollusks or <laughs> anything like that, <laughs> but um, but more our furry friends. Very similar stuff going on there. Okay. Exactly. And so, but but there are, there's sort of a fundamental difference. So, I had Steven explain that in a little more detail. He didn't really go into what the endocannabinoid system is. Mm -hmm. And if you are unfamiliar with that, Google it. (laughs) (laughs) It is basically the receptor pile by which we interpret multitudes of chemicals. Exactly. Everyone has one, including animals. Anyway, but he talked about the endocannabinoid system and the processing of THC in animals. So, see what he has to say. 
Sure. So the endocannabinoid system in general is a, a set of, of receptors, largely the CB1 and the CB2 receptor. There's arguably a number three. It's a G-coupled protein receptor number 55, but it is also receptive to other molecules. So it's, it's not going to be classified as a classic ECS receptor, but we have these, these specific uh, receptors that are trying to create homeostasis and, and balance within our, our own physiology in our bodies. And I think it's important to remember when a human or an animal goes to the doctor uh, and we give medication or we do an operation or we give IV fluids or, or, or whatnot, we're trying to assist the body in healing itself. We're trying to get the body back in that, that homeostatic state. Um, we're not necessarily um, curing things. You know, there are medications that are going to kill like uh, uh, microbes and certain viruses, but we're really reliant still on the body being able to fight these things alongside the medication. And so what these receptor systems do is constantly activate this, this homeostatic regulator within our own physiology. And as far as the, the endocannabinoid system differing from, from people, it doesn't differ that much. The big difference that we do see is the, um, the distribution of these specific receptors in different tissues. So we do see a lot more of these ECS receptors in the central nervous system, so in the brain. So that's why we think that dogs and cats can be so sensitive to, to, to Delta 9 THC and get, get high so quickly. Um, <laughs> So as far as the physiology of it in, in animals, it's pretty much the same, but the distribution of these receptors is different in, in different species. Um, and they're in higher and lower concentrations throughout the body, which is really the only difference between humans and, and our animal friends. Assuming we are using the correct cannabinoids for the endocannabinoid system in an animal, we can essentially balance the system, thus curing certain ailments, yep. which is what I got from Stephen. And some of those ailments that can potentially be solved using cannabis are very similar to mm. what we see in the human world. Yeah, I, I would imagine that the intention or the intentional use of cannabis and veterinary science is very similar to that of um, people science, mm -hmm. you know, anxiety, pain, seizures, the like. So we'll let Steven talk about that. Right now in the literature, we, we technically only have one clinical study uh, using a hemp-based product um, uh, in dogs for osteoarthritis, so a chronic pain model. Uh, with that said, we have several studies uh, in the works um, for different things uh, and, and plenty of anecdotal evidence and, and um, experience with a lot of the same conditions that we are trying to utilize these molecules for in humans. So definitely acute pain is one of them. Uh, anxiety is one of them. Uh, seizures. We have two great studies going on right now. We have one out of Colorado State University and we have one out of the University of, of Florida with Dr. Joe Washlog's lab. Uh, we have uh, interest in cancer. So we have one completed in vitro study 
um, and we have an in vivo study uh, with uh, utilizing these different molecules for cancer patients to hopefully slow down or even kill cancer uh, cells. And I think it, it goes without saying, we know that cannabis um, and, and hemp products are definitely good for some of the symptoms related to chemotherapy or even radiation. So we know we, know we have good benefits there, but we also want to test to see, hey, what kind of formulas can we use to actually kill some of these cancer cell uh, cells in, in animals as well? So uh, basically everything that we see in humans, we also are seeing in animals. We always talk about this. We hope to see some replacement of pharmaceuticals with the use of cannabis. Did you guys talk at all about pharmaceuticals and, and what that looks like or what the landscape looks like in the veterinary world as well? Very briefly. Mm -hmm. Currently in the veterinary world, mostly what people are doing is is kind of doubling down. Okay. So you're on your pharmaceutical and you're on your cannabis supplement. And a lot of people, according to Stephen, end up saying, fuck the pharmaceuticals, my dog's feeling better with just the cannabis. Mm, that's good. So it looks like people are having positive responses there. Nice. That's good to hear. And Stephen just had a like, very brief little excerpt to say on this. So yeah. we'll just, we'll just hear, it from hear that. Yeah. I think both examples are, are relevant in veterinary medicine. So when we have a certain population of pet owners that want to use cannabis in lieu of traditional pharmaceuticals. And then we have a, a, a population of pet owners that want to use it in conjunction. Um, and then we, we have kind of that mix in between. And I think both are appropriate. Um, uh, in my experience so far, talking to clients, the ones that you know, wanted to stay on traditional medications and add this as an adjunctive therapy, what ends up happening is it works so well for them that they start um, uh, decreasing traditional pharmaceuticals on their own. Uh, I mean, I, I can't recommend doing that, but it happens. And uh, then they come back for a recheck and they're like, you know, uh, uh, Fido hasn't been on, on this non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or, or this traditional anti-seizure medication. Uh, since X, uh, because it seems like these products are working so well. And we kind of, you know, look at them and scratch our head and say, well, you didn't necessarily follow our advice, but I'm glad it's working. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, we, we do see both uh, scenarios often. So speaking of use of CBD for pets, um, side effects? Question mark? Wow. Yeah, so much like anything that has a slightly altering effect in the body, there can be some side effects. One big one being lethargy. I mean, mm. which actually can be an advantage. Often you need to sleep to heal. Am I right? Yeah, true. Uh, occasional diarrhea, which could also Ooh. just be the form of... We've all had a dog that's eaten too many onions. <laughs> yeah, so it could be the treat or the oil. And it, it basically, it sounds like it's generally safe. There's really not many side effects. Yeah. Probably like, safer it, than pharmaceuticals. So is the lethal dose 
Um, is there a lethal known lethal dose for CBD? I mean, I guess this depends on body weight of the animal, you know, what is wrong with them, age, etc. But exactly. it, is, is it similar to cannabis in humans where it's like millions of parts per billion? Yes. No matter what. Like it, you, you, there's no too much. The lethal dose, the LD, is so high hmm. that you're never going to accidentally give your pet that. Like if your pet gets into the bag of CBD treats, he's probably going to be all right. It's, yeah, it won't cool. even matter. All right. Well, so. that's good to know. Not something to worry Pro about. Pro tip for all you dog owners. Yeah, they, they certainly are. And, and you know, I do want to put a word of caution out there for all these things coming to market. It is really important for pet owners to do their due diligence um, in, in researching the product that they're going to use. Um, you know, has this product been tested, which I would say a majority of them haven't, uh, as far as uh, safety and efficacy in an in a actual animal model. Um, and then certainly, just like we, we tell human um, uh, patients to ask for a certificate of analysis to make sure we're not giving them some contaminants that are going to make them sick. And then, you know, they're going to blame this illness or the side effects on the cannabinoids in the, in the particular product. And then we just, again, perpetuate this negative stigma. So we have to, we have to do our due diligence as consumers, practitioners, and patients um with what product we're, we're choosing as always we would love to hear from the experts about finding quality product out there you talked about finding good cbd products what did steven have to say about that pretty standard industry answer yep do your research ask for a certificate of analysis Mm. Go to a vet that you trust that's open to these issues and these ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just make, you know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Do your research. Do it your research. It just comes down to that. Make sure you have quality resources, research, and information to operate on. As always, when you're using cannabis in any way, shape, or form, either for you, Fido, or Squeakers, um, Squeakers, <laughs> so cute. I just my friend had a cat named Squeakers when we were growing up. Um, I don't know what I guess. What are some of the, the top questions about the subject? What What are the things that keep coming up? That is a great question, and that is the exact question that I asked Stephen. Mm-hmm. So let's hear it from him. The top questions he gets about veterinary cannabis. I, I think. Some of the top questions we get all the time um, in the veterinary space is certainly about dosing. Um, And and that can be a little bit tricky because um, each animal, uh, depending on the the health of their endocannabinoid system, uh, is going to react differently to to different products and different ratios of uh, cannabinoids in these particular product. So dosing can be tricky. Um, And um, we also have to take into consideration the disease process that the the patient might be going through. So things like anxiety, you know, I may dose at much lower um, dosages compared to something like cancer or really bad seizures in a pet. So being able to have the conversation with your veterinarian um, and 
uh, I guess it's not so much on your side of things, but finding a veterinarian that understands cannabis and how to use it appropriately um, is going to be something that I, I would tell pet owners to really research. Um, again, going back to the stigma and bias against cannabis products, most veterinarians, even though they may know a little bit about it and they can start the conversation, you're still going to hear a lot of, oh, I can't talk about that, I can't recommend this, or I'm going to pretend to not know anything about it because I'm scared, of, I'm, I'm scared by these biases I've been ingrained with. Um, yeah. So I guess more so for the clinician and not necessarily for yourself. Like you should be able to go to your practitioner and have these kinds of conversations, but the way things have been going, which is changing slowly, uh, but surely, um, you know, it, that's the challenge is, is finding a practitioner that's, that's willing and able to, to talk about this particular um, treatment method. That's, that's all I've got. Do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, I think the one thing I would add that I probably should have put in there earlier was um, when your animal is on particular medications uh, and you want to have this conversation with the vet, even if you assume that they are not going to understand or want to talk to you about this, this method of treatment, it is really important you tell your veterinarian that your pet is going to be on a cannabis or, or hemp product just because there is always a potential for drug interaction. Um, it is, again, not something that we see a lot of in veterinary medicine, just like we don't see that in human medicine, but it is something to be cautious about and we, we should inform our, <laughs> our, our, our animal's veterinarian uh, that they are on these things that could potentially have a drug interaction. Very good information to have. Um, well, Stephen, thank you so much for your views and your insights into this industry. It's really fascinating and I'm excited for everybody to get this information. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Have a great one. What does the Rastafarian pirate say? All righty. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, if you haven't caught on at this point, obviously it sounds like the veterinary world has some very, very deep similarity to the human world and the use of cannabis. Um, I think across the board, we're all kind of, again, we're just in that gray zone. We are doing research. We're trying to figure it out. That's where we're at, I think. Exactly. Very similar hurdles to the human cannabis world. Stigmatization, poor understanding of research, sometimes just complete lack of research and irrational fear yeah. of the plant. It also shows similar benefits as the human world. 
So our endocannabinoid systems seem to be fairly similar mm -hmm. between us and Fido. But you have to be very careful about your dog or cat or animal getting way too high. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like it affects them a lot worse than it affects us. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, like, and I'll incriminate myself. We had a dog in college in one of the houses that my friend lived in, and we always loved blowing bong smoke in his face. Like, I don't feel bad. We're tall. I know. I genuinely feel bad because, of course, when we're in college, we're like, oh, let's get the dog high, too. He'll love it. And he would just, like, go lie down and go to sleep. Yeah. Um, so, but kids, maybe don't get your dog high. Yeah, don't get your dog high. It's That's, not really this cool. Is what, yep, this is what it's we're just, finding out. Just don't do it. It's just not. Unless... You get them a nice CBD product that is approved by your vet. With a certificate of authenticity. Yes, <laughs> because much like the human world as well, the CBD world is still a mess. It is a, a junk show at best at this point. Yeah. But we're figuring that one out too, so you know, all yeah. in due time. And generally the negative effects, even of THC, if your dog gets too high, they're not that bad. Yeah. And the benefits can be great. True. So all signs are pointing to good. We like hope it. to find out more in the future. Um, yeah, this was, this was a fun one. Again, like every now and again, we pick a topic and it just is interesting and off the beaten path. And yeah, I kind, of en neat. I kind of enjoyed this one. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. I honestly, am, I want to know more now. Again, every single time we do one of these, it just scratches the surface and causes us to think, oh, man, we could do an entire podcast just on cannabis use in veterinary health. Yeah. But I'd love to hear stories, too. So if you have a pet that yeah. has been ill or had any issues whatsoever and you used cannabis to cure or help any of those issues, I would love to hear your story. We have a success story in the family. Petey? Petey. Petey. Yeah, my to parents' dog, Pete, he is a tiny, mighty little Jack Russell. He is a 16-year-old Jack Russell with two brand new surgically replaced knees, <laughs> and he continues to run, I, I'm not kidding you, miles up and down a mountain all day, every day. He's as spry as a spring chicken. He can't see anything. but He's a little blind and deaf now. But, he loves to play. He still plays fetch. Yeah, he was going through some serious kidney issues there yeah, for a while. He was kind of like lethargic, mm -hmm. wasn't moving great. And, and he wouldn't eat. Yeah, that was the biggest he thing. He wouldn't your go mom outside to go to the bathroom. Exactly. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't go to the bathroom. So your mom used CBD tincture, was it? Yes. So she put the CBD tincture on, you know, his favorite food that he mm -hmm. might eat. Yeah. And it started to make him feel better. Yeah. And slowly but surely, that and I think she also used some special nutrients on his food. So there's yeah, a little so combo. Combo effect could have helped. Or even just the oil itself could have, you know, greased his insides and helped that side of the world too. Yeah. We don't know. It worked. I, I can say that I've seen it work. So, but again, if you have stories or if you have questions, leave it in the comment section. Um, or reach out to us directly at maryjanexperience.com where you can sign up for our, our monthly and sometimes weekly newsletters. Whenever we have something cool happening, we let everybody know. 
Um, we're still doing the Mother's Day. Nope. By the time this comes out, the Mother's Day raffle is going to be over. Thanks, everybody who bought raffle tickets. We're definitely doing that again. It was a huge success. Woo. Um, next one's going to be even better and bigger. Um, that's it. Strawberry? Anything else? As always, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, for sharing your ideas and comments. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Y'all potheads are great. (laughs) Potheads are just wonderful people. Potheads are just real swell. And with that, good night. Good luck. Adieu. Adieu, my beautiful, Arrivederci. (laughs) 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 Bitches. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> All right, good night, you beautiful potheads. Have fun. <laughs>